Midsummer Maniacs. Midsummer Maniacs is a comedy <laughs> recap podcast dedicated to the ITV series Midsummer Murders. Each week we dig into an episode of the show, including the murders, the mayhem, the loonies, and everything else we love. I'm Mark. You are, and I'm Sarah, and this is episode 94 The Sicilian Defense. Yes, season 15, episode 5. If you uh, let your kids play chess, they should be able to listen to the podcast. Yeah, I think so. There's nothing. There's no grunting. There's nothing raunchy in this episode at all. Nope. Something actually worse than that, I think. Uh, Yeah. To begin, guess what today is? What? Today, the 23rd of July, is the exact two-year anniversary to when we dropped the first trailer. Cool. For the episode. I didn't know that. For the show. Yeah. Yeah. So the first time that anyone could have heard anything about Midsummer Maniacs. Unless they were being real creepy. Yeah. Like hanging around in our house or something. <laughs> they couldn't know. Two years ago, huh? Yep. Two years. It simultaneously feels like it's not been that long and like we've always done this. Uh, <laughs> I don't, COVID has just screwed up my sense of time completely. It does indeed. And we, you know, I... I, I Listen back to when COVID was like first few months into COVID. I listened back to those episodes of us like with no idea what was coming. No. <laughs> and then suddenly we're like, oh, we're stuck in the house forever now. Yeah. Yeah. And now we're starting to kind of come out. Two years, huh? Two years. 94 episodes. 94 episodes. Plus, plus the the mini episodes I think that we did. We have yeah. 10, 11 mini episodes yeah. now. Yeah. Plus the trailer. If you've been listening plus for almost Christmas two song. years now, thank you so much. Yep. Thank you so much. And of course, if if you started listening since then, thank you. We like you too. Yes. We appreciate everybody. There, there's new people every week. It's great. I, I'm always stunned that somebody on the facebook groups is like i've never heard of this podcast i'm like i promote it twice a week on this channel and now you've got 93 episodes to catch up on get going exactly <laughs> days and days and days of listening but those us. first couple uh don't worry about the audio <laughs> <laughs> we got better we, we got, got better. better mics better mics better more experienced mixer. we only have one jones episode left to go after we this have, one this is the penultimate Jones episode. Yes. I'm going to miss him. I am also But it's all good. It's all good. But I'm irate. I got to tell you. Okay. I'm mad at the Scotsman. (laughs) Okay. It's a newspaper. Okay. Not just some random random person from Scotland. (laughs) The Scotsman. It's like a comic book villain or something. Yeah. Their motto is news you can trust since 1817. Mm Mm-hmm. I beg to differ. Why so? Because in a article that it's like a blog post dated the 20th of July, 2021. Mm-hmm. So just Tuesday of this week. Mm-hmm. They are talking to this guy who plays organ in churches. Okay. Okay. That's a cool thing. It's interesting, right? The second paragraph begins. 
How often do we watch an episode of, say, Midsummer Murders, where the village organist is a well-meaning parishioner stumbling over a simple psalm? And the answer is never. 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 No. The organ players in Midsummer are actually quite talented. Scotsman just threw that in there. <laughs> it's, it's all SEO. Yep. It's just search engine optimization. They're just like, trying to drive traffic from people like you who would have otherwise never looked at that article. The organist who is with the 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 uh, funeral director's wife in his nakedness, mm-hmm. that guy's a good organist. Yeah. He's a killer. And we almost see his organ. Yeah. But he can play. But he can play. Yeah. He's not stumbling through psalms. And the girl from the piano competition from the school, when she plays organ, she plays it very well. Yep. So, Scotsman. Scotsman. That's desperate traffic driving strategy there. Yep. Shame on you. Don't fall for it. <laughs> like I did. <laughs> like you did. <laughs> Spent hours yelling about the Scotsman. And now you've given them all this traffic by my, mentioning them. My children think, well, it's not going in the show notes. No. No. <laughs> We do have lives, I swear. <laughs> we have all kinds of stuff going on. And yet, Mark still finds time to get angry at a blog entry from a newspaper mentioning Midsummer in an incorrect way. <laughs> in addition, today, all the official Midsummer channels have mentioned a new Midsummer book yeah. coming up. It's Can You Survive in Midsummer? It's like a, I think it's like a choose your own adventure kind of thing. I don't know. The guy who wrote it has uh, does Den of Geek movie books yeah so i think he's pretty knowledgeable about tv and movies so it should be fun it comes out in september yeah as soon as it's available we will review that baby up and tell you all about it when i looked today it was only available on the kindle in september in the u.s so it may be available in a kindle choose your own adventure book would be kind of suck weird they're all kind of choose your own adventure (laughs) in the kindle (laughs) because you can just Flip pages anytime you want. You don't have to slip your fingers in the pages the way you had to with the old Choose Your Own Adventure books. <laughs> do I want to go to page 54 or 76? I don't know. Let me read the first couple of Yeah. Pages. Oh, you cheated? I did not cheat. I chose wisely after looking. <laughs> That's cheating. <laughs> no, it's not cheating. Cheater McCheaterson. Speaking of your uh, comment last week, it's Midsummer Murder is not... Midsummer misdemeanors. Mm-hmm. A lot of people thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> Midsummer misdemeanors would be a completely different show. Yeah. They'd I'm follow some PC in in uniform. I'm sorry, sir, that you've littered you littered here. You didn't pick up after your dog, sir. Yep, gonna have to take you in. Yep. Write you a ticket. This episode filmed in July and June 2012. Broadcast date 9th of January 2013. 6.95 million viewers. Directed by Alex Palais and written by Paul Logue. This is the chess episode. Though it really has nothing to do with chess. Very little. Yes. Chess is just the shared hobby of this village. Bishop Wood, another new place. Get it? Bishop Wood, Bishop, like a chess place? Last week we had an entire village who loved old horror movies, and this time it's an entire village of people who like chess. Yes. That's what you have to know. That's what you have to like to live in Bishopwood. Now, this episode has a dramatic cold opening. Yes. Okay. Chess we, head. We have, well, we have <laughs> David Farmer 
and and there's a really good shot. I don't know if you noticed it because sometimes when we're taking notes, I know I do this. I miss shots that don't have talking in them. Mm. But there's a really good shot of the bridge of the farmer house with David Farmer in the front of the house with his record player. And Harriet, and Harriet jumping Harriet out the climbing window. out the window. Yeah. It's a really nice wide shot. Yeah, so... A shot you would not get in 4 by 3 television. Let's talk about this house for just a second. First of all, it's weird how many houses in this episode have bridges yes. leading up to them. Edward and Vivian's house has two little bridges, and the farmer's cottage has a little bridge. The house that the farmers live in is called the Fisheries. Now, they're not farmers. Their name is Farmer. Right. And they live in a house called the Fisheries. Yes. Okay. <laughs> it's it's on Soulsbridge Lane. It's beautiful. It's a listed property, of course. Of course. But I looked at a lot of pictures of this house, okay? Yeah. And that bridge is not where it is in the show. Oh. Like, as near as I could tell, they couldn't do that shot with the real bridge to the house. So do you think they made a bridge I or do. they moved the bridge? I think they made another bridge. Oh. And so they could include that bridge in the shot. It's a it's just it's a little bit farther away from the front of the house and it's much longer. It's a uh, really long bridge in reality. La- later on when when he goes out to get his key, his stuff in the car and he has to go across the bridge, I'm like, "Oh god, that would be a pain in the butt going all the way out there." But that house is gorgeous. Yeah. But you will never guess the name of the river that it's on. What river is it on? It's the River Chess. Oh! Isn't right. that clever? It is clever. Clever, clever. So Harriet hops out the window because she's off to meet Finn in the woods so they can elope. How old do you think Harriet and Finn are here? I think she's 16. He's I 17. Some, I had some problems with them, their ages. I think I think she's 16 and he's 17. That's what I'm guessing. I would think a 16-year-old may not wear her whitest dress out possibly when sneaking out. They're going to elope, so she's wearing her dress. No, I would think a 16-year-old would be like, I should wear some dark clothes if I'm going to sneak away so my dad won't see me. Oh, so you think she's younger than that because she... No, I just think they screwed up there. I think it's a Romeo and Juliet kind of thing. I think she's romantic and wants to meet him looking beautiful or whatever, but you're right. It doesn't make much sense. I wouldn't have. Suddenly, chess piece face. I mean, chess piece head. Arrived. I just realized that my notes say Harriet slips out of the house while David plays with himself. Yeah. <laughs> plays chess with himself. Poor David. David is the. Uh, I'm He's glad he's treated. <laughs> it's wonderful that he gets his da- daughter back before he's killed, mm-hmm. but he is. Sad. He's... And he is maligned and hurt for no reason at all. Yeah. He's used. Yeah. Mistreated. Oh, uh, the way Caroline talks about him. Ooh. Mm. Woo. We'll talk about Caroline. Yes. And then we have one year later. Harriet's in a coma. Mm-hmm. Did you do a uh, research on comas? I did because they're used as kind of a trope. Yes. Right? To take somebody out of the picture and be able to bring them back and know where they are all that time. It's really easy to do. Yep. What I what I wasn't sure about was how realistic it was that she would wake up after having been in a coma for so long, for a whole year, and still be able to talk, 
not have more like muscle atrophy and and that kind of stuff. I mean, they do some PT with her, which they would have to. Yes. But though David's like, "Here, look at these pictures while you're doing PT." Yeah. But there's a, a there's a big flaw. Uh, it, they messed up. Yeah. Um the writers messed up because they've got her with a breathing tube in her neck when she's in bed. Yes. And later she has no scar there at all, no, nothing. No, not at all. Nothing. Nope. So the difference between being in a coma, being unconscious, being vegetative, and being asleep are basically down to two things. Okay. Wakefulness and awareness. Okay. Right? If you're in a coma, you are neither aware or awake. You could stab her with a needle and she wouldn't respond. Loud noises, nothing. nothing. You get no rapid eye movement. Do your pupils dilate to light? Yes, because that's autonomic. It's autonomic. So you get autonomic functions. So people in comas do typically swallow, but their muscles start to get kind of atrophied. And so they might need help breathing and swallowing because just the longer you're in it, you know, the more support you need, basically. Yeah. Vegetative means you're awake, but not aware. Oh. So a vegetative person will open their eyes look around but they just stare yeah and they don't respond to anything but if you hold their hand they will stand up if you pull them into a standing position if you guide them they will walk so it's kind of like more or less a zombie like state sort of yeah i mean that but they're not they don't speak they don't respond no you know basically they, they they're kind of on autopilot yeah right then if you're unconscious that is being in a coma for a very short period of time. Oh. Basically. Okay. So unconsciousness is neither aware or awake, but it's acute. Okay. Right? So you get knocked on the head like Dr. Parr does and yep. you're unconscious. Somebody could stab you with a needle and you probably wouldn't respond, but you're going to come around fairly quickly. Really quickly. Because the the trauma to your brain has not caused it to shut down. It's like a short-term down. coma. Very, very short-term, right? Yes. And then there is this state called minimal consciousness, where you are awake, but only a little aware. Is this what I'm like in the morning? <laughs> no, it's more like what I'm like in the morning, <laughs> where I appear to be more aware than I am <laughs> when you try to wake me up. Oh, okay. <laughs> like the other day when you said, it's time to get out of bed, and I said, I already did that, and then fell back asleep. Yes. <laughs> So she, so we're led to believe that she is in a coma, though then Dr. Parr says she's been vegetative. That's not yeah. accurate, right? No. She has been in a coma. Well, but, I'm, I'm going to question Dr. Parr's yeah, well, medical abilities. I, yeah, I'm not trusting she anything she says. She doesn't even wear says. a white coat. No, <laughs> I'm not trusting anything she says. But things like loss of memory, and, and there are lots of physical side effects to being in a coma, even only for like a week. I did some research on comas. But I looked at the longest comas. Mm-hmm. Did you look into this? I did. Do you know about Elaine Esposito? Yes. This is a horrific story. Yes. She was six years old. Yep. Went in for an appendectomy. She didn't... In 1941. She didn't respond of well. World War Two. Yeah. She didn't respond well to the anesthetic. And so she never woke up. For 37 years. And then, But then she died. Yeah, but she, she died while... In the coma. Yeah. She, yeah. she never woke she up. She never woke up. Right? No. So I, I'm not... I mean, that story is true. That is the longest somebody's been in a coma. But I'm interested in the ones where people actually wake up. 
So am I. <laughs> so, like, there are two men who who were in comas for 19 years Terry and woke up. Wallace was one of them. Yeah. Now, he was the one who was in the car accident and was paralyzed. So when he woke up, he still couldn't move around. Poor guy to wake up after all that time. But from what I could, what I could read, most people who wake up from comas have no sense of passing time. They don't no. know how long they've been out. No. They don't, they just lose the time. Yes. Like... I don't know. I know this is probably not a scientific, uh, relatable incident, but like the characters in the character in American Werewolf in London, he has no idea how long he's been in a coma. Right. How much time has passed? What's yeah. going on? Yeah. Yeah. So when Harriet wakes up, it's realistic that she would need to think a little bit about who her dad is before she recognized him, and things would come back to her. What What I read was. It's typically kind of like being foggy as if you've been very deeply asleep. Speaking of asleep. But then you have all the physical effects of your body being still for that long and what that does to you. Now, you know, I love Washington. I love me some Washington Irving. And we we talked about Washington Irving a tiny little bit. The Headless Horseman. Headless Horseman episode. So Washington Irving is famous for two things. One, Headless Horseman. What's the second thing? The guy who fell asleep. Rip Van Winkle. Rip Van Winkle. Thank you. All right. So. He wasn't in a coma. No, he, he, it says that he had some alcohol and he fell into a deep sleep. How long do you think Rip Van Winkle was out? Didn't he sleep for like a hundred years? 20. That's it. That's all? It's before the revolution and after the revolution. So what happened while Harriet was asleep? Like what would have been new to her when she woke up? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> like, oh, my dad still plays a lot of chess. Finn's gone. Okay. Finn's gone. That's about it. That's pretty much it. Hey, Sarah, do you remember our racist hats? <laughs> <laughs> you talking to Sarah Barnaby. I don't think you can recycle sombreros. I don't think so either. Now, if you took the strings off of them, you might be able to compost them. Maybe. Because they're straw. Maybe. But I don't even think you could do that. Sykes is his own box. That's pretty impressive. Okay, well, we see how Sykes is actually spelled. If we gathered all of Fanny's toys together, it would be more than one. We box already full. have a box for her. It'd be more than one <laughs> box full. It's like a laundry basket of toys. And he says they got it in Porto Vallarta. 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 He says it like an American would yeah. say it. We went to Porto Vallarta. Porto Vallarta. I'm just surprised that their attic is full of junk already. They've only lived there for they a couple of years. They just moved in. What are they doing getting stuff out of there? <laughs> like, we didn't even have that much junk in our attic, and we've lived here 10 years, 11 years. But it is the first reference that we know of, of Barnaby's being in North America. Yeah, that's true. Well, they're traveled. I think that Tom and Joyce traveled, too. They just didn't talk about it They didn't as talk much. about North America. No. That is... Literally, the worst Clint Eastwood impression ever. But she's being fun. Yes. Which is nice to see. But what I loved about it, did you... So Jones walks up while uh-huh. she's doing it. She puts the gun behind she her back. She puts the gun behind <laughs> her back. And it's just her fingers. It's just her fingers. <laughs> it's so... That little bit of acting was that, so good. It's clever. Yeah. I like seeing them getting along and being funny together and not just being like... Just a good team. Like, yeah. they're a good team. They cooperate and they manage things well, obviously. But I like seeing them But I also like be that fun. she gets frustrated with his shit in this episode, too. Yeah, kind of. But she's got a project 
this is what Midsummer does to women. Yes. They give them projects and then they're unreasonable about it. Because everyone else in town is at the Bishopwood chess tournament. Now, I have some problems with this chess tournament. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> Boy, do I ever. First of all, there are 64 entrants in this chess tournament, okay? Based mm-hmm. on the single elimination bracket they show. Yeah, but then they say it's only round one. Yeah, that's a lie. That's wrong. How that, can you have multiple rounds if it's if it's single <coughs> elimination brackets? Double checked. It's a single elimination <laughs> bracket. <laughs> so when Robson gets beat by Jamie, he's done. He's done. He's out. Yes. Right? Absolutely. He should be, but no. It's some new kind of bracket that I've never I, heard of before. I guess. And there are not 64 people in that room. I counted. <laughs> oh, you're obsessive now. <laughs> You are really obsessive. I don't know much about chess at all. I mean, I, I know sort of the basics about it, but when it, like, I, I know what pieces are allowed to move in what way and how you win. But this whole culture of, like, competitive, serious chess, I don't know a lot well, about. Plus, so what I like about the competitive, serious chess is there is a notion of book you know about this when it comes to chess? The idea is that to win at chess, you really have to go off book. Right, because book is all the predicted smart moves that someone would make given any situation in chess. You have to basically do a dumb, unexpected move, which later turns out to be a winning move. Mm -hmm. But then that suddenly becomes book. Yeah, as soon as somebody does it. As soon as someone does it. Because you're in a finite combination of moves. Now... (laughs) that number of moves is feels infinite right well there's a name for that it's called the shannon number and it's 10 to the power of 80 that's how many possible moves there are and that's more than like grains of sand in the universe that's more than molecules in the universe um but if you take out all the illegal moves impossible moves it's only 10 to the 40th yeah because so a that's lot a of moves one with are 40 like, zeros behind it i move here and then i move back and i move here no it's and- like moving a pawn from the back row like well but that's not where it starts so that's not a possible move uh okay it, it, you couldn't move that because yeah. it would never be there to move at the yeah. beginning of the it's game impossible to do that yeah so not if you only count sensible moves that's the Alice number, A-L-L-I-S, and that is 10 to the 40th, okay. which is still a one with 40 zeros behind yes, it. Yes, still a lot. So if it's all in the book, that's a lot of book. Yeah. That's a big book. Do you know who the youngest, uh, What? how old the youngest grandmaster is? No. 12. 12. That's impressive. It's a kid from New Jersey. It's always perceived that people who are good at chess are smart. They're smart at chess. Yes. They may not be able to tie their shoes, and there's no evidence of other smarts, but no. but they can think in ways I know I can't, yes. at least about chess. It's certainly spatial and strategic. You're, you're seeing moves ahead while you're playing. Christy uses it in The Big Four, which is a Poirot story. I'm mm-hmm. not sure if it's a novel or a story, but it's an electrified board. Chess board. Yeah. Yeah. Kaboom. It's a it's a good story with a weird name, a kind of a lame name. The Big Four. But they kind of make fun of it <laughs> yeah. in the story. Yeah, they do. So so we're having this um, Bishopwood chess tournament with all these competitors. They've got their clocks. Yep. Right? So as soon as you press the button, the timer ends for you and starts for your competitor. Yes. And you have up to, in a standard game, you have 90 minutes. 
Those are relatively new, you know that? Mm. They're like a 19th century thing. Before it was, it was uh, hourglasses. So you have 90 minutes to complete your first 40 moves. So your, your clock counts up whenever it's your turn. And as soon as you press the button, your clock stops. Yes. And your clock can go up to 90 minutes, right? And then there are rules for after that. But then now they've got these new forms. They've got rapid chess which is anywhere from 10 to 60 minutes which per player. I love seeing those guys because they're like... Oh, no. Blitz chess. Yeah. In which case, both players have a maximum of 5 to 10 minutes. And this is for the whole game, people. This yeah. isn't per move. No. This is the whole game. All of your moves added together can be no more than 10 minutes. Wow. And then there's bullet chess. Bullet chess. One to two minutes. Oh, my gosh. It, it must be like just whizzing around they must knock pieces over on accident trying they, to move that fast they gotta they what they do is they keep one hand hovering over the clock uh yeah so as soon as they move they hit the button boom 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 so they sit with their arms crossed yeah. like that and they hit the button it's like a drummer hitting the high yeah exactly <laughs> but they're is... playing they're playing the tournament at the king's gambit hotel so yes. again the whole village is themed by chess do you want to shake Olivia? Right away. She's Jamie's mom. Jamie is participating in the tournament. Yep. And Olivia is like hovering over his shoulder. Grandmaster or nothing. And then you find out that she slept with young Sherlock Holmes and you dislike her even more. Did you think that the actress who plays Olivia and the actor who played Jamie look a lot alike? A little bit, yeah. I think they, they do. They did a good job like he, finding kid, an actor who looked like he could be her son. That kid is a good actor in not only... The scene where he gets scared by the boogie lady mm -hmm. and the scene with him and Barnaby, are he acts way beyond his age. Yeah, he's been in a lot of other things. His name is John Bell. He's been in a ton of stuff since. So we've now, got... Now, hold on. I have a question. Okay. What is their last name? Carr. And what is the doctor's last name? Parr. Rule one of writing screenplays. <laughs> Do not create characters that... Have Whose confusing names, are that names unless you're unless you're gonna play around with that. Like Midsummer's usually pretty good about that. Yeah, it's too close. Mm. The par car car par car. Nah. It's too close. It didn't confuse me, but I understand what you mean. It just annoyed me, but everything about Dr. Parr does annoy me, so So we've got the the chess tournament going on. Yes. Harriet wakes up. They come and get David and say, she's woken up. Now, nothing. Nothing on earth. A meteorite hitting Midsummer. Nothing is going to stop this Chester. Oh, no. No. The guy running it dies, and they still have the Chester tournament. That's how it is in Midsummer. The show must go on, could, whatever the show is. Definitely could not cancel this Chester tournament. <laughs> Oh my gosh! <laughs> well, you know, they probably couldn't because these tournaments are brackets that ladder up to other tournaments in other places. And if they were to cancel it, they would have to reschedule it quickly. The guy running it is killed. I know. <laughs> I know. But, you know, these people are trying to compete to move on to other tournaments. Young Sherlock Holmes goes home. Edward Stannington. Yes. Why is his name Stannington? Lee-ness. <laughs> it's just Stannington. It's just a collection of uh, suffixes. Because he's 
Uh, oh, Stannington of Bishopwood. He's so annoying. Absolutely. He he is he is cravat wearing annoying. He's so annoying that he he gets murdered and people get to celebrate. Yeah. <laughs> and they're not seen as being evil. He's that bad. So did you forget or because we've seen this episode before a million were, times were you like what is his relationship to vivian no i remember i, I knew remember? right away i, I was i like, thought if, i think the first time i saw it i thought she was his mom and he treated her like that and then you realize no, i was it's, like it's her, his aunt it's not they're not in a relationship and then i was like a brother and sister and then i was like no well that never stopped anybody in midsummer before anyway <laughs> So aunt and nephew. Okay, aunt and nephew. Okay, I get So that. clearly his parents yeah. left him the house and said, but you have to allow Vivian to live there yes. as long as she lives. Yes. And she has to take her shoes off, but you don't. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so Edward Stanton, Stannington, I always want to call him just Stanton. It's yes. Stannington, played by uh, Nicholas Rao. Yep. He was also in The Fisher King. He gets yep. shot with an arrow in the back in The I Fisher King episode. I believe he was in a movie in the 80s called Young Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes. Holmes yeah. Did you know he was in Seed of Chucky? I did. That's the third Chucky movie, that right? Because the... there's Chucky, Bride of Chucky, yep. then Seed of Chucky. Yes. And he's in a movie called Eat Locals, which you guys should watch. Yes. It's a bunch of British actors pretending to be vampires meeting in an old farmhouse to yes. like make like agree like they're a council of vampires or whatever and the and these british military guys try to take them out and it's very funny it is funny very funny the ending could have been stronger but it's but funny. it's it's absolutely worthwhile and yep. nicholas rao is um is a military guy in yep. that movie yeah i know we, we didn't mention that um when we covered the fisher king because we hadn't seen it yet i don't even know if it was out yet mm-hmm. it's a fairly new movie oh he's still working yeah. oh yeah so, yeah, when he, the way he treats her, I, I have a lot of respect for Vivian because she doesn't let him get to her. Yeah. So Vivian is played by Cheryl Campbell. Yes. That's who was name. also in Beyond the Grave, oh, the oh. episode with the paint rest, painting restoration and the goose. And Shammer, Sharon Campbell is fantastic. Cheryl. Mm-hmm. Cheryl. She was in a movie called The Shooting Party that I fell in love with this week. She's in a lot of great stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But boy, when he dies, she's like, oh, Woo-hoo! <laughs> wait a minute. I'm free. I yes! can go in the big house now. I can walk all over the house in my shoes if I want to. Yes. And then we get the Robson house. Yes. So the Robsons, they're the modern family because he does computer stuff. He does computer stuff. He lives his, on juice. His company made a game called Night to King. Mm-hmm. Now, we're never told what this game is like. It was the first online chess game. But that's not amazing. <laughs> I, like, I like imagine... AOL had chess. <laughs> but it was the first online chess tournament game. Yes, they had a tournament to promote it, but I don't think that was the game. It was... Well... It wasn't battle chess. That's all I have to say. <laughs> it must have been awesome because... He clearly made a mint. Yep. Battle Chess is this early 90s video game that was a DOS-based game, which had really creepy, trashy characters in it. It was fantastic. <laughs> like, the queen in Battle Chess is, like, 
totally trashy and like like booby tastic tastic okay. and saunters around the the board <laughs> and yeah so it's chess for teenage boys yeah i'll put a link into for battle chess it's awesome <laughs> the house that the robsons live in is incredible it's super modern it's up on stilts it's a house called the hind house Yes. And the reason why it's on stilts is that it sits on a river. So you you see um, Wendy and Dr. Parr go out to the dock. Yes. On the river. It it does very, sit very near water. And that river regularly floods up to about three meters oh, up. So. so that's why the house is on stilts. Yeah. The pictures online, I, I looked up this house. The people who live there have another parking lot where they park their cars up on the hill when the river's high. And they keep some waiters there in a shed. So when they want to go home, they slip into their waiters and walk down to the house. Jeez. What a hassle. Yeah. Said the people who lived on top of a hill. <laughs> we live on top of a hill. <laughs> but, but it's a beautiful, it's an amazing house. But yeah. the, I think the contrast is what's yeah. important, that they live in this ultra-modern, sleek, he only drinks juice from his own juice machine all the time guy. Yeah, and Finn is a weird character because... He is portrayed as being like a juvenile delinquent, but then he's going mountain climbing with his dad, and yet he's really caring to Harriet. Like, Did you get the impression he was supposed to be a delinquent? I thought he was just supposed to be a Lothario. No. From, like his parents knew that Jones he was says in the too, car, a little too into girls. I think he sort of said he was a known entity. Mm, okay. But clearly to his mom and dad, he's Mr. Goody Two-Shoes. Yes. That is the worst Photoshop pictured ever, by the way. Oh, my God. That huge blow-up of the, the nothing, two of them in the Pyrenees. Nothing shows Photoshop like blowing it up to life-size. Yeah. <laughs> like, you just cropped Finn's head off a different photo and just put it like on there. Like, his hair is, is vertical yeah. at one point. Yeah. <laughs> it's just bad. Wait a minute. Young Sherlock Holmes' car is suddenly busted. Did you... Did you get to the point where you're watching the episode and you're like, how did his car get busted? I went back like 10 minutes. I'm like, no, he leaves the house. We don't see a car busting scene. There was something cut there. We don't even see him go to the woods. Yeah, I think something was cut there. So here's what happened. He gets the registered letter. He opens it up. There's key information in there. Yep. He calls Olivia and says, meet me in the woods. Why does he call Olivia? I don't know. Something makes him and Olivia meet in the woods. He pisses her off, so she rams his car and leaves. But we don't hear about that till later. Yeah. And and she kind of mentions it like an aside. Yeah. Like, there's definitely a scene missing there. I think they were pressed for time in this episode. And how does the person who who is out there to kill him, Dr. Parr... How does she know that they're going there? And does she carry around an axe with her all the time? This lady? Maybe. But it's a climbing axe. Yeah. She is horrible. I'm I'm saving my vitriol for her for the (laughs) end. Because she is horrific. She may be the person in Midsummer I dislike the most. Just because she's absolutely psychopathic? And tortures children. Yeah. And she, tortures other people because she wasn't there when her brother was suicidal. Mm-hmm. It's it's all about grief, Sarah. 
the whole episode is about grief. No, it's not. Did you notice on young Sherlock Holmes's desk, he has a weird horse tentacle head statue thing? Mm-hmm. It was weird, wasn't Everything it? there is related to chess. Yeah. And they are descendants of Reverend Stennington. Who was not the world chess champion in 1893 to 1904. No, that was Wilhelm Steintz. No, it wasn't. Yes. It was Emanuel Lasker from Germany. He held it from 94 to 1910. Yes. So Before him was Wilhelm. Yes. What's his face? Somewhere in the transition period between 93 and 94 were those two men. There's no actual bishop. No, no. So I did a search on interesting chess facts. And, and this Vladimir Kostolov, who he's supposed to be writing a book about? Yeah. Doesn't exist either. No, he doesn't exist either. But I did come up with some interesting, one particular, couple of interesting chess facts that I had to double check because I wasn't sure if they were real. And then I wasn't sure, like, it didn't sit right to me. So the first one is... That in 1973 in Cleveland, do you know about this? No. The police broke up a chess tournament. What, chess players were getting out of control? It was seen as gambling. Oh, so people were playing some bets on it. Yes. Okay. And I thought I I could, I found a couple of websites that mentioned this. Oh, they took pinball machines away because they thought they were gambling. Everybody talks about pinball machines on the same website. Yeah. But no real evidence that this happened. But then this has happened sooner than that. When More you, recently than yeah. that? When do you think that happened? I don't know. 1990. Whoa. In Los Angeles. And I found a Los Angeles Times article. About a chess tournament being broken up for gambling. Yes. And the paper has some fun with it. So the article is entitled, Police Take Chess Move Back and Tear Up Tickets. Uh, so this is from January 27th, 1990, 12 a.m. That's so, 31 years ago, you know. Yeah. Okay. It's not recent. It is. 31 years ago. They're, they're busting people up for chess. <laughs> I know. You'd think it would be like in the 1950s or something. Yeah. Hey, you rascals, stop playing chess. So this is the fun they have with this article. Are you ready? I'm just going to read the first couple of paragraphs. It's It's fun. It was Checkmate Friday in the match between the chess players and the police in a mid-wheelchair area. Los Angeles Police Department vice officers who raided a nightly chess tournament that draws dozens of players at Dad's Donuts were ordered to retrieve and tear up gambling citations issued earlier this week in an undercover operation. Three men cited for gambling Tuesday night after officers infiltrated a match and found a dollar fifty on the table next to a row of white and black knights and a dollar fifty. Angry chess enthusiasts were quick to complain that they had that they had been made pawns by the officers. <laughs> oh my god! They said that chess was a game of skill, not chance. It goes on. From there. <laughs> so they're not denying that they were placing money on the on the matches, but just that since it was skill, it's not gambling. Yes. <laughs> wow. That must have been a slow news week. Wow. Like, <laughs> we are not pawns. <laughs> oh, wow. So then the second interesting thing I learned about chess 
was that the second book ever printed in English was about chess. And I was like, that's not true. But it is. But it is. The second ever printed book in English, like Gutenberg's printing press, yep. was about chess. Yes. The first one must have been a Bible. Yes, the okay. first one is a Bible. And the second one is a chess book. Yes. It's by a guy named William Caxton, and he did it in Bruges in 1474. He must have had a lot of money. Yeah. Caxton's translation of the French, The Game and Play of Chess, which was treated as an allegory of life, was published in 1476. That's incredible. Yeah. That's one of those pub facts that you could win some money with. Yeah. The second ever printed book in English was a book about chess. Yeah. Translated from French. Olivia mentions that Jamie's ELO rating yes. needs to go up. Yes. What is that? So I thought it was an acronym. ELO. It's That's not. Electric Light Orchestra. No. <laughs> it's, it's not Electric Light Orchestra. Okay. It's named after a guy named Arpod ELO. Okay. Who developed a rating system to measure... The relative strength of a player um, in games like chess compared to other players. He was he was a chess master himself, but the ELO rating can be used for other things. It's sort of what developed into handicaps in golf and things like oh, that. Oh, okay. So that people can be matched up accordingly based on their skills and not just their win record. It's So it's more complex than that. Well, it's the heavy metal music he listens to while he studies chess by himself that makes him have a better <laughs> ELO record. The Dan Cunningham no, no, album? No, no, that's later. Oh, okay. So Farmer invites Caroline Potts for dinner. Yes. Let's talk about the Potts. Let's talk about Arthur okay. and Caroline. Okay. Is Arthur easily 20 years older than Caroline? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. And he, he says he owned the hotel. She came in as like a summer employee. Yeah. And he thought she was so competent and she was so on it that they would make a good team. And then I think he kind of romanced her or whatever. Okay. So, yeah, I think there's a big age difference there. Okay. She's horrible. She is. And he's not a lot better. She is horrible and insane, but she's not the most horrible (laughs) and insane person in this episode. Because at least she does Meals on Wheels. She does. She wants to help people. I think she's a fanatic. Yeah. I think that's her problem. I think it's it's only subtly talked about, but she needs to be more gaudy. And she needs to, like, a, a good way of doing it would be, you know, Finn came along and we had sex, and I feel really bad about it. So I'm going to help people. I'm going to do these things. I'm going to do these other... That sort of making up for it in other parts no, of your life. No, God gave her a teenage boyfriend. Yeah, that, I didn't like that part. <laughs> she says she wanted to become a nun. Can you imagine Caroline as a nun? Uh, she would have killed people like in the nun episode. <laughs> <laughs> she would have been awful. She would have been. But she and, Ar- I mean, Arthur is a cheapskate. He's a half-asser and he... I'm not going to say he's a schmoozer. He's got this investment opportunity, which is basically bail my hotel out. Yes. Okay. I also want to talk about something. We need to move to Midsummer. Okay. Because in Midsummer, two people can run a hotel. An entire hotel. Three people, I counted, can run a hospital. Oh, yeah. A giant hospital. Yeah. 
And one of them doesn't even have to wear a white coat. It's a cottage hospital. I don't care. It's got five million rooms. (laughs) It's got at least a dozen patients. At least. At least. Three people. It's not like a nursing home. It's not a long-term care facility. It's a hospital. No. Well, and if you have one more employee in Midsummer, you can run a hotel with a full bar and restaurant. Because remember in the village where there's the miniature village? Yes. He and his wife and their true. their gothy daughter run a whole hotel, That's restaurant, true. and bar. How do these people get away with it? I don't know. They're very efficient. Because there's no other explanation of why people would not have found Finn either. Some maintenance dude would have found him down there. All he needed to do was make noise. Yes. That's Jones, how Jones finds Jones him. Jones finds him in two seconds. I think it's because he's usually unconscious. She keeps him doped up so he doesn't yell. For months? Oh. For 12 months. Poor Finn. Finn Finn is another person in this episode who is treated like crap. Yes. For no reason at all. Yes. Except for he wants to be with the person he likes. So Jamie is sent home from the hotel so Olivia can talk to the cops. Yes. And then he's haunted? Yeah. So we talked about this before the podcast. I think it's implied that it's Dr. Carr. Parr. Sorry. I think it's implied that this <laughs> It's the doctor. That this is it's the doctor. And now could this moment be happening in reality? I think Jamie has suffered immense trauma. The love of his life, he sees meeting Chespie's face mm-hmm. in the woods. Mm-hmm. He attacks Chespie's face. And he thinks he killed him. He thinks he's killed him. The person he goes to help, which he says later on. Are these are the people you're supposed to go to for help? Smashes the woman he loves and says, if you do anything about this to anybody, I'll kill her. I'm surprised Parr didn't kill him. If he had opened his mouth at any point, she is undone. I think at some point the writer had to say, no, she, she can't kill a children, a child. She's got no problem with locking one up for a year. Oh, it's just... He must be terrified. He, I'm surprised he can walk and talk. Can you imagine doing that to a child? So we're supposed to believe that sometime over the last year, Dr. Parr has been looking for opportunities that Jamie is alone and like running around his house screaming and like rattling doorknobs and stuff to scare him. That is not Scooby-Doo stuff. That is horrific yeah yeah that's stalking it's threatening so that now even if she's not really there he imagines that she's doing it yeah so she must have done it quite a bit oh you'd think she's busy like keeping one kid in a coma keeping another kid unconscious seeing other patients pretending to be a doctor that she wouldn't have time to like run off rattle some doorknobs come back she has a friend too that she goes sees. yeah that's right because she's still friends with Wendy, who she's just her drug dealer, basically. Wendy says, I need a little bit of help. She just pulls a bottle of pills out of her purse. She is slowly killing Wendy. She hates everybody. <laughs> she, I think she does hate Wendy because she blames yeah. Wendy for her brother. Yeah. She blames everybody for her brother. Oh, she's just, yeah, she's just horrible. Horrible, horrible. Is that the worst anniversary dinner ever? Oh, <laughs> At the Oaks. I felt 
so, and I know, and I've seen this episode so many times and still every time I watch that scene, I am uncomfortable because she's so mean and so, and she's loud and other people are looking at them and he is trying to do something nice. She loses it. She just leaves. I don't know what I would do if I were him and I was just sitting there alone. I've ordered this meal. I've made this reservation. I've had them make us a cake special for our anniversary. And you just walk out. Yeah. He's, yes, he runs a shoddy hotel and he's kind of a schemer and he puts a cat in the freezer. Cat killer. But he, even after she does that to him, he makes her an alibi. Yeah. It's just. Which I don't think a lot of people would do. I'd be like, you walked out on me. You're a jerk. You're mean to me every day. I don't know where she was. Yeah. She left. She probably killed people. (laughs) It was probably her. The worst anniversary dinner ever, which is then followed by the worst date night dinner ever. (laughs) (laughs) Poor David. So David's, he's ready. He's got, he's dressed up. He's got the candles. He's made a nice table. the music on. Doesn't, doesn't have that pesky daughter. There's no mention of her mother no. or his his wife. No, I Nothing. assume that she's that she died when she was very yep. young or something. He's got his Chris Cunningham album, mm. which is entitled Shades of a Mellow Heart. Of the Mellow Heart. <laughs> Whatever that is. Jones turns it over when they do the scene of the crime stuff. There are a number of songs on the back. The only one that you can see is on side one, which is If I Had You. And the capitalization is weird. It's not a real album. No. There are many musicians named Chris Cunningham. Including, None of them make this kind of music. Yes, including one, the Aphex Twins, which is a electronic music outfit from the 90s. Yeah, yeah. It's very much like machine dance music. I don't think that's what they were listening to. No, no. Then Mr. Barton dies. Yeah. Caroline's nice. She does the Meals on Wheels, but the schlock that she puts on those trays, it looks worse than cafeteria food. I don't know what it is. And poor Mr. Barton is shoving it down his gobble. Oh, barely. He's He's, sad about it. He's like, I guess I got to eat this or I'm going to die. And then it's so bad he has a heart attack, apparently. (laughs) At least Caroline changes her clothes. (laughs) And Vivian finds him. Yep. I don't. I guess she goes looking because of Marion Green, because she suspected that Caroline killed another old lady. So now she just follows her around on her Meals on Wheels rounds to make sure she's not poisoning people. They said, "Where's the cat?" I was like, "He's in the evidence room." Oh, oh! deep cut. Well, at least she's not including the cat in the food. I was yes. afraid that that's yeah. what Arthur was going to say was Poor that they Charlie they ate the cat or I don't know the angel of death. When that freezer cat falls on the floor and skids over to Jones's feet, I was like, wow, that's a solidly frozen cat. Okay. We are missing a Midsummer Show spinoff. And we haven't talked about this. It needs to be the Faye Bell Mysteries. Oh, she's awesome. She the is lip reader. Fantastic. She come in, she's like, I'm the lip reader. Who's gonna pay me? Like she just <laughs> walks into the cop shop. It's fantastic. She is in Two scenes mm-hmm. and eats up all of it. She's good at her job. She's good at her job. She she's a good actress. It where is my Faye Bell show? <laughs> she's played by Sophie Stone. Let's give her lots of credit because yeah. she does a great job. She does. <laughs> uh, then you didn't write these 
love poems about me. <laughs> Who did? Your other girlfriend, Jenny. When Harriet and Dr. Parr go home, yes. Dr. Parr takes Harriet home. Yes. And Caroline comes busting through that door. Whammo. She's like a monster. She is. She smashes her with a pot. I don't even know where the pot came from. She needs Finn right then. Where is my Finn? And then she like drags Harriet into the woods by her hair. Harriet is having a bad time in this show. Poor Harriet. And like talk about trauma inducing. Oh my gosh. I mean, Caroline is mean. Yeah. Mean, mean. I really think this episode should end with Caroline and Dr. Parr fighting to the death in the woods. I don't know who would win. Or maybe in that (laughs) totally weird cell that Caroline is in that has nothing in it at all. That's what they do in holding cells. They Uh, don't give you anything. That is weird. She's lucky she's got a little mattress on her concrete block. We we don't interrogate in interrogation rooms anymore. We interrogate in the little interrogation seating area in front of my office. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But man, she smashes Dr. Parr on the head with the flower pot. Drags yeah. Harriet out. Yeah. And she's like all teeth all the time. And if you haven't seen it, you're like, okay, this is it. Caroline's the killer. Yeah. And then she goes, where is my Finn? And you're like, um, what? Wait a minute. Yeah. You're like a 40-year-old woman. My And you're in love with Finn. a 17-year-old. My beautiful Finn. Um, I don't think he's as committed to you as you are to him. When Dr. Parr wakes up, her first thought is... Maybe there's someone crazier than I am. (laughs) Wait a minute. I'm the killer around here. Who bonked me on the head? Was I vegetative or was I in a coma? And then she calls the cops and gets involved with the cops. She is so brazen in this episode. It's smart to inject yourself in the investigation so you know what's going on. You know if they're getting close. (sighs) I think that's clever. This was always about Finn. Dr. Parr fools them so much that when they realize Harriet is in trouble, they trust Dr. Parr to look after her while they think they're off to find the killer. Exactly. And Parr is played by Julie Graham. Yeah. Who, she's such a good actress. Let me tell you four shows that she's been in that if you haven't seen, you should watch right now. Are you ready? Write Uh, these down. Yeah. Queens of Mystery. Yes. Bletchley, all the Bletchley Park and the second season where they go to the United States. They're both awesome. Yep. Shetland. Yep. And you might argue with this one, but I'm going to say Bone Kickers because I think Bone Kickers Kickers is a fun show. Yep. It's not completely realistic. No. They're archaeologists. To solve crimes. They do things that archaeologists wouldn't do, but it's very fun. So Jones is at the hospital. He thinks somebody's coming to get Harriet. He's... Tells Dr. Park, keep an eye on her. Yep. Lock the doors. Yep. And then he hears Finn yelling. Why has Finn not been yelling all the time? Constantly for a year, I would be screaming. <laughs> I would be saying, my name is Finn and I'm locked in the basement. <laughs> okay. So this is what happened on Chess Piece Head Night, which is never talked about. That they never find the Chess Piece Head they never make reference to the chess piece head. He was just having some fun. He was just... I don't know why. Finn doesn't play chess. Nope. As far as we know. He was just having some fun. Yep. So they're going to elope. Mm-hmm. She leaves 
the note for her dad. Mm -hmm. She takes off. Mm -hmm. Finn freaks her out with a chest head. Ha ha, just joking. This is is Keystone Cops in the woods. Oh, yeah. Because remember, Robinson is going after Finn. Yes. So So his dad is trying to find him. Yep. In the woods. Mm -hmm. All these people are driving around on this night. Yeah. Okay. I don't know how... Jamie knows that Finn and Harriet are eloping. I can only guess that they were kind of friendly. Maybe. And maybe they mentioned it or he overheard them talk about it. One scene at the festival, him overhearing what they're going to do. He took all those photos of her. Yeah. Maybe he took that video. I think there was more to that. Again, I think things got cut here. So Finn comes out in the chest head, scares Harriet, and then, ha ha, just kidding. Oh, so kiss, nice kiss. to see you. Kiss, kiss. Whack, whack. Jamie hits him on the head, right? Thinks he's killed him. Okay, so at this point, before Jamie has suffered immense trauma, he is homicidal. Yeah. <laughs> he's not trying to kill him. No. He just thinks if he knocks him unconscious, Harriet will love him instead. Man, I they're don't stupid. Know. So now Harriet's crying over Finn and Jamie goes, oh my God, what have I done? I'll go get help. Which is a natural, real reaction. That's the right thing to do. Yep. Runs off, stops a car. At the exact same moment, Dr. Carr. Par. Car, par. The doctor. (laughs) The doctor. Because she's the only one. So it's just, you know, she runs the whole hospital. Yes. Happens to be driving by in the foggy dark night. Yes. And... He says, oh, okay, this opportunity is this. Yes. This is my big chance. Whammo, she hits Harriet. Yes. Okay. Then she turns around and looks at Jamie and says, if you tell anybody, I'll kill Harriet. Yes. Okay. Then she picks up Finn and puts him in her car. Mm Mm-hmm. Drives to the hospital and puts him in the basement. Mm Mm-hmm. Why would she keep him at the hospital and not her house? She spends a lot of time there. We don't see her house. Maybe she lives at the hospital. <laughs> I don't know. The hospital is the worst. Don't take him to a public place. Where can I hide this person? In a public place. Yes. Well, and I don't care if you're a brain surgeon, a neurosurgeon, whatever, and a brain absolute expert. Nobody can hit somebody and say, this won't kill them, but it will put them in a coma for quite a while. Whack. She could have easily killed Harriet. And Harriet would have said, oh, no, it's the doctor. Or just knocked her unconscious and she woke up and said, yeah, the doctor hit me and took Finn. She risked so much. Now, her Harriet waking up causes her, like, she's it lucky. sets everything off. She's lucky that Harriet went into the coma. Yeah. Because this would have happened a year earlier. Yeah. And I would have thought that she was actually keeping Harriet in the coma on the down low. Yeah. Except that she wakes up. Yeah. So she must not have been. No. But maybe she should have been. So Jones finds Finn in the basement. I I like how Finn is almost aggressive with Jones. He's crazy. He's been locked up for a year. He's like, this is no rescue, mate. Yeah. You're not doing a good job. And if you touch me, I'm going to freak out. Yeah. Has she been shaving Finn? Because he should have a little more growth than that on his face. As far as I'm concerned, he hasn't had a bath in a year. Yeah. His hair has grown quite a bit, and that's realistic. It, your hair grows about six inches a year, so yeah. his hair could be that long. Maybe he just doesn't grow a lot of facial hair. And there's a good bit of writing here where he goes, You're, are you real? Yeah. First of all, that that's a good bit of writing. Mm-hmm. And then he says, oh, 
I maybe I've been here three or four months. Yeah, he doesn't know how long he's been there. And th- that like is so heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Cause he's just a kid. Yeah. He might be eighteen now. Yeah. He's not any older than that. No. But Parr comes in from the other direction, right? So Jones is on one side of the lock yes. door. Finn and Parr are on the other side. Yep. She's about to inject Finn with some stuff. And Jones talks to her and she basically admits everything. What does she think is going to happen? Does she think she's going to go around and kill Jones too? Okay. Under the topic loony, in my notes, I have what is her end game at this point? I don't know. I do not know. Because she says that she's going to kill Harriet off over the next few weeks. Mm Mm-hmm. You're not going to have the next few weeks. No. I mean, I mean she's going to have to kill Jones and yes. Finn and then Harriet and then... Well, you know, doctors, Wendy? doctors don't hurt people. Except all the people you killed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then we've got John who, you know, he's got a degree in psychology from Durham University. Don't forget. Yes, he does. So he can work his mojo on her. Yep. And she is obviously very unbalanced. Yep. So I... I'm fully convinced that that could work, that he could talk to her. I do, but it, it she switches between don't role play with me and I'm role playing a little too quickly. Yeah, they've only got so much time in the episode. Well, again, I think this is hurried here mm-hmm. at the end. But man, she is super crazy. So she has put one kid in a coma. Yep. Locked another kid up for a year. Yep. Killed. Young Sherlock Holmes. Young Sherlock Holmes with a climbing axe in that his she spine throws. in his spine she must have practiced that and then she gets it back out again and takes it away yep david she strangles with a rope yeah like and terrorizes jamie this over over a year i mean this is not like i poisoned them from a distance kind of stuff no she's nuts and all of this because her brother committed suicide and she couldn't do anything to stop him. Yeah. Having had a suicide in my family, you feel that way. You feel like, what could I have done? Should I yep. have done? Had I, if I had an opportunity, could I have made a difference? I understand that feeling. Yeah. But it does not turn into this. No. No. It does not turn into that. She's super crazy. She's made a mess. Oh, yeah. It's quite a mess. I'll say. Yeah. Now, let's talk about the giant elephant in the room how does barnaby know it's her well he gets the notes about jason winter her her brother brother, yeah who was the one who beat the chess game and was so fantastic and was one of the programmers right that robinson helps them he's a jerk who only drinks shakes Mm. but he is again a victim of all this oh yeah Absolutely. And helps them at the very end. Yeah. And he's justifiably pissed that they have not found his son. Agreed. Yeah. Because all they had to do was go to the hospital. So he says that that Jason Winter grew up in care. Yeah. Or Wendy tells him that, that he had a rough life as a kid. But he gets notification of it, like papers. I'm assuming somewhere in there, there was sister, car, Par. par. Sister Par, who doesn't change her clothes. <laughs> You're really worked up about the fact that she's wearing the same outfit. She for wears the, whole the episode. same thing the entire episode. She changes her shirt twice. <laughs> I locked. 
No. She's a beautiful woman. She's striking. I don't mind looking at her, but. She might smell by now. Especially since she's running around so much. She's like shaking doors at Jamie's and she's killing David and Axon, you know, yep. young Sherlock Holmes and running around. And yeah, she's she's got a lot going on. She has a lot going on. So you think that he got Jason Winters care records and they said he has a sister named Laura Parr. Yeah. They have different names. Yep. Well, it's half-sister, I bet. So or, I, I figured she was adopted, okay. and her last name changed. Oh, that could work, too. No, because then <laughs> Barnaby would never know never it's her. Never know it's her. Again, it's rushed. This is a super fun episode. I love Midsummer. I love how crazy she is. She is. But that bothers me. Yep. That he knows it's her, and we don't. And we aren't privy to the piece of evidence that tipped him off. Yeah. That breaks the rules. And I don't like it. Yes. Do you know about the rules? So the rules are an Agatha Christie thing, aren't they? Back in the 20s, Agatha Christie was in a club with other Golden Age mystery writers. And they came up with this list of 10 rules that they agreed to. And not every good mystery adheres to them. No. It's okay if it doesn't. But Midsummer is usually really good yeah. at this, right? So I'll give you this super quick version. So you've probably heard reference to these rules. Basically, it's saying that good mysteries should be fair to the reader. The reader should have a chance to figure it out. Well, That's it, what they're if, about. If you're making a whodunit, mm-hmm. you have to give the reader the clues so that they can reach the conclusion before you. If it's you're the doing difference it, between mystery and suspense. Yeah. You can have suspense and the reader doesn't have to be privy to all the information. But if it's a mystery, we should be given every clue that the detective is given so we have just as much chance of figuring it out. Yes. So the rules are that the criminal should be mentioned early in the story and should be an integral part, right? Yep. You can't just have somebody come in at the last minute who's no, who nobody's ever seen and he's the killer. Yep. Right? Dr. Parr does this. You can't have supernatural or preternatural things that don't get ruled out, right? Yep. So you can't say, oh, a ghost did it. Yeah. That's that's not fair. Yep. Um, there can't be more than one secret room or passage. So you can't have this like hidden way of getting around a locked room mystery kind of yep. thing. The murders can't be committed with some kind of imagined or undiscovered poison or something that the reader couldn't anticipate being possible yep this next rule is problematic in the way that it's worded but it's no chinaman must figure in the story which is horribly racist but what they're implying is no outsider out of the middle of nowhere comes in and does the killing you you can't use somebody who's foreign either by ethnicity religion geography or in some other way who is foreign to the locals as a scapegoat Basically, yes. you can't just say Christy, the foreigner did it. Christy plays with that. She plays with it, but she never does it. Yeah. The detective can't solve the, the murder by accident. No. He can't commit the crime. No. Right. So he can't be the killer. Yeah. Though I've read things where that happens and it's interesting, but it breaks the rules. They have to declare any clues they discover. Which is where we run into problems. That's the problem yeah. with this episode. Yeah. Their sidekick can't conceal anything they've figured out and they should be 
just a little bit slower on the pickup than the reader, right? Yeah. So Watson helps us as readers understand what Sherlock already gets because he's like, wait a minute, I don't get it. And Sherlock has to explain things to him. It, it's so, so that, that helps you can us have dialogue for exposition instead of thought exposition. And things get explained to us as readers in case we miss them. Yeah. And you can't have doubles or twins unless we're duly prepared for them, yeah. right? Unless it's an important part of the story that there are twins. You can't say, oh, Dr. Parr didn't do it. Her twin sister did, yeah. who we've never heard never of before, heard of. Yes. right? In general, Midsummer follows these rules. They broke that rule about the clues that the detective has that we don't have in this particular episode. And we'll put a link to these rules If in they the did show it notes. just because they accidentally edited out a scene... Yeah. Where the information would have been presented, even if he had just said, oh, that's interesting. It says here he had a sister. They were separated and her last name was Parr. And then he runs out of the room. Or she was adopted by a family whose name was Parr or something. Or anything. It's a great TV trope who, who was adopted by a family named Oh my God, Jones. Yeah. And then he runs out. And then we could guess. Yeah. Oh, it was Parr. Yeah. That's how he figured it out. But at, it's, I don't know. And, and listeners, if you saw something that we didn't see that gave you that clue and we just didn't pick up on it, tell us. Yeah. Because Midsummer's always super good about not breaking these rules. We watch and being a lot super of these fair, episodes. So. Being super fair with us. So we have a chance to solve the crime and understand what's happening. We watch so many of these one, episodes that we make up that Kate goes to pubs. <laughs> I know. Kate does not go to a pub in I this episode. I swear there's a scene where she's in a pub. <laughs> I don't know where it is, but I swear she does. Okay. Are you ready for Best Corpse? The final thing I want to say about this episode, mm-hmm. as we cover the episode, is a sure sign that this episode is short. Like They had to edit things they down had to, to get edit it things in down time. and rush. Is there is a no man's land of trauma laid waste yeah because of this woman yeah and they just get in their car and leave it's unresolved they just oh well that's the end harriet is going to have problems for the rest of her life finn is going to have problems so is jamie jamie is going to have the robinson robsons are they ever going to trust anyone ever again yeah certainly not a doctor i don't think so everybody yeah is, i just hope faye wrecked. gets paid or destroyed. I hope Faye the Lip Reader gets paid. I, I, I hope Faye gets paid. Did you recognize Finn, by the way? The actor who plays Finn? No. He's played by Royce Pearson, who most recently was in The Irregulars. And he plays Watson. That's right. If you haven't seen The Irregulars yet, check it out. It's about the group of kids yep. who Sherlock and Watson turn to, the Baker Street Irregulars. Yeah. But... It's much more than that. It's so good. It's and it's not, a sh- it, it's not a detective show. No. And it's really not about Sherlock Holmes. No. Nope. It's about the Irregulars. Yep, and they're is. really, it's really good. It's really good. You should check it out. But yep. yeah, he plays Watson in that. Yeah. Okay. Best corpse. <laughs> nice corpse. Uh, the cat. <laughs> Charlie? Yep. I would say. Our uh, choices are David, Stannington. Mr. Barton and Charlie. I would say Mr. Barton. Me too. He does a, a, Even he though does, he's not murdered. He's pretty close to being dead anyway. He's an old dude. <laughs> oh, that's not nice. No. But, but he does a really good job of playing a corpse. But when that, that 
that cat comes out of the freezer and bounces at Jones's feet, I said out loud, "Best corpse." <laughs> I, we can we can say it's a tie between Mr. Barton and Charlie. Okay. We've kind of already talked about after the credits. There's trauma all over the place. Everyone is destroyed. I was really glad to see the scene though when Finn is at Harriet's bedside with her eye her, her eyelashes that make noise. He is legitimately happy to see her, and they, he asks about her immediately. He, they are in love. Yeah, he's not he's not playing games with her. No. What is going to happen to Caroline Potts? She's going to jail. She assaulted the doctor. Now the doctor was a crazy lady. She assaulted Harriet. Harriet was a crazy lady. She had sex with the minor. She's a crazy lady. <laughs> I don't think she will. I think she go. I think. I think she, they charge her. She goes to trial and the judge goes, yeah, okay, so who did you assault? Oh, that woman who killed all those people? Mm. Mm. Did you know she was a killer? Well, you didn't know she was a killer. Well, eh, don't do it again. But then what happens with her? Maybe she goes off and becomes a nun. She's loony. She's got some self-reflection to do. Yeah. She and Arthur are not going to stay together. She needs to talk to a priest. And Arthur needs to sell that hotel. Yes, because it's not going to make any money. He's not going to be able to run it on his own. How many people has he poisoned? Do you think they'll still have chess tournaments there? I don't know. Maybe uh, they should do Kitchen Hell. (laughs) Hell's Hell's Kitchen. (laughs) All right. I don't have any bad movies for you this week. All these people have, all these actors have made good choices about what films they're going to be in. But we missed a reference to Hammer Films last week. We did. Harriet Walker is Christopher Lee's great niece. niece. Yes. So we missed that. Mm -hmm. So she may have grown up around Hammer Films. I'm sure she did. Hammer Films. Yeah. So Harriet Walker um, is the actress who played Diana. Yes. So Harriet Walker is the actress who played Diana Davenport, the big movie star in Death and the Divas. And she's Christopher Lee's... Who was in a ton of Hammer Films. Or or his great niece. Yeah. And he was in a ton of Hammer Films. He's known for being in Hammer Films. So we, we missed that reference. And thank you to... The listener who notified us, reminded us of yes. that. I think we may have mentioned it, may have mentioned in, it when in Orcus she was Fatalis in when she Orcus was in that Fatalis, one. Yeah. But it was so much more relevant in this one and we didn't mention it. So yeah. thanks for reminding us of that. Absolutely. All right. Our next episode is Jones's final episode. And that is... Episode 6 of Season 15, Schooled in Murder. The Killer Cheese episode. Killer Cheese! Killer Cheese! Everybody talks about the Killer Cheese. People who don't know a lot about Midsummer go, gosh, they even killed somebody with a wheel of cheese. I'm like, blue cheese. Mm. <laughs> my, my thought is always, you know, they killed somebody in a dryer. That's a little bit crazier than cheese. Well, and they just kind of put their picture on the dryer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Remember uh, that we're Midsummer Maniacs on Twitter, Instagram, and email. And we're also on the Facebook groups and the subreddit. Uh, Remember to like and subscribe and hit the bell on our YouTube channel if you like this episode. And if you really liked it, tell all your friends. Tell your friends. They're maniacs, too. You know they are. Just keep it to themselves. Absolutely. (laughs) Happy anniversary. Happy two-year podcast anniversary. Yep. Hey. Bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs.
Each week we dig into the... Ma- uh, each week we... 